creativelyanddeliberately.com, a podcast where we will discuss how to creatively and deliberately make choices that give life meaning. This is Danette Hansen, your host. Thanks for joining me. So my family right now, the choice between peanut butter and jelly over peanut butter and honey is going to be hands down made with honey. Honey has become a staple around here. For me, my favorite way to eat honey is on hot homemade bread. But hot homemade bread doesn't get made very often. I also like it in my oatmeal. I won't list all the wonderful ways to eat honey because I want to focus more on how honey crystallizes. There are times when we go through a jar fast enough that we don't even have to deal with crystallization. But when we don't, it sure feels like the honey that has crystallized, crystallized because of poor quality or poor storage. But I've learned that's not the case. Crystallization doesn't change the quality of the honey. It's not spoiled when it granulizes. Honey crystallizes because of its high sugar concentration. Honey generally contains 70% glucose and less than 20% water. I'll plug in that the sugary treat also has many nutritional properties such as amino acids, minerals, proteins, and like 300 other substances that can add to your reasons of why you would want to eat honey. Anciently, honey was viewed as a miracle food. Honey is the only food that includes all the substances necessary to sustain life. It has enzymes additional to its vitamins. The antioxidants it provides is associated with improved brain functioning. And we all know that honey and lemon water helps with colds. So it can help heal the body internally and externally. People put it on their hair, on their scars, on their skins, and get this, it never spoils. But when it solidifies, it's easy to think it's ruined or bad, but it's not. Here's a fact. Archaeologists found sealed honey vats in King Tut's tomb that was still edible, despite its 2,000 years of being under the desert sand. Honey is a Hebrew word for the word enchant. And so it's easily tied in terms of endearment. How can you not call cute little people honey instead of their names? And of course, it's an expression for endearing love. There's a fun 1969 song by the Archies where the lyrics went, Sugar, ah, honey, honey, you are my candy girl and you got me wanting you. I just can't believe the loveliness of loving you. It's a good oldie. Linguist Mark Johnson and George Lakoff claim that metaphors shape the way that we see the world, which then will shape how we act. So with metaphors in mind, I had an interesting thought the other day when I went to make my son a peanut butter honey sandwich and I saw the crystallized honey. After knowing honey is termed for those that we love, a different thought went through my mind as I tried to spread the granulized honey on the bread. My mind filled with thoughts of how easy it is to think that when our relationships in life gel and harden that we think all is lost that the relationship is spoiled or defective somehow. Love lasts infinitely, just like honey does, but it has to be protected and treated just like honey does. 
When honey crystallizes, all you have to do is set the honey jar in a pot filled with water on the stove at the lowest heat. The warm heat softens it back to the smooth liquid. There are many things we can do for relationships that have hardened with concerns and problems. Back to linguists Johnson and Lakoff. They have a book called The Metaphors We Live By. And in that book, they say that love is a collaborative work of art. So with this honey analogy I've created, think of the work that it takes for bees to produce delicious honey. It's an artistic work of art, and it is very collaborative. Lots of stages and processes have to happen to get to the pleasurable end result. So why is it then that when we see honey hardening, we want to immediately throw away all the time and effort that went into producing this product? The moment it crystallizes, we take on this attitude. Remember, it's going to crystallize because of the sugar-water ratio. Love is similar in that it will, at some point or another, run into thick, sticky stages. Love takes work, but it's truly a work of art worth performing. The beauty it can produce is much sweeter than honey. The treatment for any struggling relationship requires a steady, warm application of kindness and patience. And like honey, love is more than two ingredients. Love is a feeling, an attitude, a decision, and a skill. When we tap into God's love, we then tap into a divine love that has even more power to dissolve hardness. Where do we find this divine love? The scriptures tell us it's called charity. And here's how it looks. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I would say it's an everlasting sweet life because we get to live with those we love. I'd hate to imagine if we were permanently separated from those we love, those that we have collaboratively created a life with. And what does it say of Christ's love? Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Charity is the strongest, most noble type of love, and Christ exemplifies it perfectly. So no wonder charity is defined as the pure love of Christ, and it's the most joyous to the soul. Charity endureth forever. It's described so we can practice it in our lives and in our relationships. It says, And charity suffereth long, and is kind, and envieth not, and is not puffed up, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, and rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Let's go over each one to see what they can look like. Charity suffereth long, and is kind. This means that we are patient with those we love. Each one of us have our own thought systems, our own preferences, our own strengths and weaknesses, and our own customized trials. So when those we love don't think the way that we do or don't understand our needs completely, still need to be shown compassion. Aren't we all trying to figure things out? Doesn't everyone deserve kindness? We are all trying to do our best, so be patient. 
If you'll believe this simple fact that we are all trying to do our best, it will help you suffereth long. Even though the dynamics of each relationship is different, this rule will always apply. Charity envieth not. Learning to be grateful for our own lives and our own situations is important. We also need to learn to love ourselves as well. What did Jesus say? Love one another as thyself. Being grateful for what you bring to the table as well as what others bring is vital to any relationship. If there's something in your life that you don't like, remember you have the power to change it. You're the one in control of you. It's not anyone else's job. Just like you're the only one in charge of your happiness, it's not your spouse's job, your children, your boss, your family or friends. It's your job. It's not even God's job to make you happy. You have to learn to be happy for what you have been given and for what you have. And you do this by being grateful for all the gifts and tender mercies God gives you daily. Gratitude is the key, not envying. Charity is not puffed up, but rather is humble and meek. Meekness is kindly standing up for what you believe in and setting boundaries that work for everyone involved in the relationship, but by being teachable as well. Has there ever been a time when you've been puffed up in your relationships? It looks like this. No, I am right. It's holding on to the stance that your way is the only way. You don't even entertain another's point of view. The hardness from having to be right looks like the dark crystallized honey that has no mobility. A knife won't even penetrate past the thickened texture. It's as if its only purpose is to fill the jar. That would be denying what the bees created it for. Selfishness is its motto. What can soften this sense of puffed up pride? Seeking to understand others. Showing curiosity. Learning and expanding beyond your present limited state. The next one on the list of attributes will help with not being puffed up. It seeketh not her own. Putting others first goes hand in hand with seeking to understand others' points of view. Charity is not easily provoked. Resentment and anger is part of being provoked. Maybe you're not easily angered, but resentment clouds your mind often. Resentment stems from a feeling that you've been treated unfairly. How many times does that thought come up in a relationship? That's why it's important to pay attention to your thoughts. The more you feed feelings of being wronged, the easier it is to shift into burning anger. Are you defensive? Take some time to question as to why certain things put you on the defense so you can then soften. The next line in this scripture then says, thinketh no evil. I think of the counsel that God gives us to judge not, lest you be judged, and how it applies here. The golden rule says, treat others as you want to be treated, because it follows this judging rule. Call it karma or the behavior boomerang. How you treat others will come back to you. So when you wish ill things to happen to someone else because you're mad at them, turn and think if you would want that to happen to you. If the answer is no, then you better not be wishing it on someone else. Make sure that you do not rejoice in this type of iniquity. The end of the verse of scripture says, 
beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, and endureth all things. Love requires that you're malleable. It's interesting to me that God puts us in families. The ties developed within a family can help you practice these four things. At times, you beareth the things your family members do. But then you join them in believing in their goodness and you naturally hope the best for them. Believing it will all work out for each of our own good in the end will lead to courage and trust in God. Enduring through the ups and downs of life with loved ones, no matter what happens, is the most special part of charity. There's strength in numbers. None of us were meant to go it alone in life. That's another reason why we have families. Being in a family is the training ground for a marriage that then will require these four things in a different manner. We must all endure and believe and hope for the best. Bearing it together is what brings the beauty, the sweetness, and the joy. The other day, I watched a movie about a man who let his misunderstanding of God's plan harden his heart after the loss of his son to cancer. He was a professor and he wrote a few books claiming that God didn't exist, which had become popular. This pain put a deep wedge between him and his wife, so they divorced. Long story short, he's in a car accident. While unconscious, he sees his deceased son who reminds him of Christ's love. The boy is happy and cared for. This experience spurs him to repair his love for his wife. His renewed love with his wife is sweet, and then it spills over to a pure love of God. Loving and trusting God helps when his wife dies of cancer later in the show. And believe me, if I knew this was part of the show, I wouldn't have watched it. I don't like when main characters in the show die. But they show how he is at peace with her passing because he believed in his continued life with her after death. He had the evidence of this glorious life after seeing his happy, healthy son when he was unconscious. That's when I had this aha moment. As a couple, it's easy to be discouraged by disagreements or the other ups and downs of being different people with different points of view that then can make life feel like it's too much work. Our negative bias is just as uneven at times as the honey ratio. And it makes it easy to think that these trying painful times will be the norm. It's easy to want to reject a future that taxing. But through this brief glimpse of watching this man's life improve through his love with his wife allowed me to be able to internalize his hopes of being together with her again. I was able to see that couple relationships will continually go through the learning and the growth that will nourish a love that will endure forever. As a human, I only comprehend things by time and only by this life where there are many limits and misunderstandings. But I won't be bound by time and limited beliefs forever. So much more will be added upon us in the next life that will only enhance and simplify the relationships we nurture here. This collaborative work is worth it. Learning to use this verse of scripture as a guideline in each of our relationships will help in breeding feelings of love and in fostering an attitude of love. This decision to love must be shown as well as practiced during trying times. 
With love being the base decision for your relationship, it's easier to look for solutions instead of focusing on the problems. And with this decision of love, when difficult times come, you don't unravel to the point that you start questioning if you should have married them or if you should love them. That decision was already made. Asking, am I patient, kind, am I keeping my pride in check, and seeking to understand, am I watching my thoughts so that I'm not easily provoked, am I hoping and believing in the power this type of love brings? This is a collaboration of skills and techniques created by everyone involved. It's an artistic collaboration that expands and nourishes the soul. It expands and nourishes the soul because this type of love is divine. Charity never faileth. So let's work for charity. I have an announcement to make. I have another journal to help you understand yourself. It's called a self-discovery journal. Like my first journal, my one-on-one journal, it's also a 90-day journal, and you can find it on Amazon. It's to help to love yourself so that you can love others. If you need help in finding it, you can email me creatively and deliberately at gmail.com or go to my website. Thanks for joining me. (laughs) 